Are you ready? Let's open to chapter 3 of Colossians and we're coming straight in on verse 18 and it's going to come up on the screen as well. Uh, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only with their eyes on you, Their eye. The masters have one eye when their eye is on you. (laughs) Oh dear. Is on you. And to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ. You are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favoritism. Masters, verse uh, chapter 4, 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. God, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Would you take this scripture and help us? to have your perspective on it. Let your truth grip our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Right. Have you ever walked in on a conversation and been shocked by what you've heard? Yeah. And you're shocked because what they're saying seems like, huh? That's harsh or what on earth? I don't agree with that. The reason why you respond like that is because you've not heard what's been said before and you've probably left before you hear what's being said after it. There is always a context to a conversation, isn't there? And as we read this passage, it is a bit like if you read this passage on its own, it's like you've just walked into a conversation and I'm looking at the wives and the wives going, and then the kids are going, obey, obey, obey. And, and you're like, slaves, what? That's wrong. Wow, we live in a different kind of society. We're equality. And suddenly you're like, context. You can see I've had a three cups of coffee already, eh? We're up for some fun today. Is that okay? You know, is it, remember those adverts? I remember watching an advert once where it showed this lad running along the road. And then suddenly it looks like he pushes this old gentleman really hard and he goes flying. And you're like... That's terrible. That's a crime. But as you get to the end of the advert, you realize that this guy saves this man's life. He shoves him out the way because the scaffolding above him collapses and things fall. The old man is saved. And some of you might have seen that one where there's a there's a woman and they're in an aircraft. You know, all sitting there, you know, sitting all in line and, and the lights are out. It's a long flight, you know. And then there's uh, this woman, obviously, bless her. She's in the middle, squeezed in between two big lads. And she obviously needs to go to the loo. And she's thinking, I've got to get out of my seat. What am I going to do? So there she, you see her and she's just kind of getting out and she's like, I can't really wake the guy up. So what does she do? She starts to get over him like this, like that. And then just as she does that, this plane hits turbulence. 
she falls on the guy, the lights go on, and suddenly you're like, what is terrible? Because we've suddenly broken into the conversation, but we haven't seen what's before. And we misunderstand, we misinterpret, and we go, and we make a judgment, don't we? Sorry, I didn't mean to point there, Nicola, at you. We make a judgment. We can make a judgment on this, but we need to know a little bit of the background and the context, what Paul is trying to say. So let's think about this letter that Paul is writing to the Colossian church. You know, the main thrust of this entire letter is about focus. Who are you focused on in this life? Who are you focusing on? What is your focus? Because if we are, our focus isn't right, then the other stuff will, will, will mess with us. So he's sort of saying, so, so, so right the way through this letter, Paul wants the church and is encouraging the church, shift your focus, shift your focus up. Fix your focus back on to Jesus. Look through your current situation to Jesus. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I preached on um, uh, how big is the Jesus in your life? How big is Jesus in you? And we talked about the disciples, remember, on the boat. And he's the one that stands up and calms the storm. And then he gets off the boat and there's crazy naked nut job man, you know, and he's full of torment. And Jesus deals with the darkness in his life. And then he deals with, the, with actual death. How big is Jesus? You see, Taryn came about ooh, a month and a half ago, didn't she? And she said to us, look up, because we have who a God who is supreme. And began to talk a little bit about that. who is this Jesus? He's the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. By him, all things were created. You know, sometimes we get so stuck in our little... Uh, crisis and, and and it's all overwhelming and Taryn comes and says no 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 he's sovereign over all of this nothing that's going on in this life isn't outside of his control wow where's your focus where's where's your focus where's your focus mature christianity is focused on jesus and not the situation. Remember we did the five P's of, 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 of maturity a couple of weeks ago? We're pilgrims. Where are we going? Towards Jesus. We're planted in who? In Christ. We're producing what? Joy. Because we're looking to Jesus. You see? This whole letter is asking a question. Look up. Who are you going to focus on. Verse 17, just before 18. And whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Word, whatever, whatever. That's a big word, isn't it? We can just scream through that. Whatever we do. Well, whatever we do covers what we say as well as what we actually act out. And what Paul is saying is we've got we've said all this stuff about Jesus. We've looked at the passages about 
jettison poor behavior and put it on good behavior. But none of that happens in a vacuum. None of that happens. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I can be an amazingly holy, pure. In fact, I can be a brilliant Christian. But when I get out of bed, <laughs> you know, I can I can spend loads of time in my study and I can be praying and I'm getting new insights and reading my Bible. And then I can leave that and bump into family and friends or people in the neighborhood or, or people at work. And suddenly it's in that network of relationships where everything that's been said up till this point has to go live. In fact, I heard it said that Christianity's power or the power of Christianity or the power of Christ really goes live only in the, in the relationship network that we have. As my life connects with another person's life. It's the intersection of the network of where our lives connect with one another. It's in that moment that the power of God is then manifest. Um, and the grace that we've talked about over here, the goodness and the patience that we've talked about over here, none of that bears fruit until we engage with another person. Is that helpful? So it's Paul is saying, we've done a lot of theory, but now we're going to talk about this stuff in real practical terms. And it's time to get really personal because... <laughs> We've just had a list of the network of relationships that cover working environment, cover parenting and cover some of the most private and most intimate of relationships in marriage. What or who is going to be your focus? And our focus is to be on the radical nature of who Jesus is and what he's done. There is one of the most radical sentences in the Bible in chapter 3. And it talks, it says this, in Colossians 3, 11, and he's talking about the church. He says, here in the church, in the work of Christ, he says there is no Greek, no Jew, no circumcised or not, barbarian, slave or free, but Christ is in all. And in all. A very similar statement he makes in Galatians chapter 3. He says, there is neither Jew nor gentle, slave or free, uh, nor male or female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. So the backdrop is, what is your focus? And understand the nature of what Jesus has done on the cross. Because what he has done on the cross, he has created equality amongst all in that moment. We are all become sons and daughters in him. Okay, but the context of this is unbelievably radical because of the society in which Paul was speaking. This was a society that was unbelievably divided. Okay, it was a patriarchal system, and the reality is the men held all the keys of power and influence. The lads got all the inheritance. Women had very little rights. Children had no rights. And slaves, well, beyond rights. And so Paul is speaking into a situation, 
and a culture that is very different to ours. And so he's, this statement is unbelievably countercultural. In fact, can you imagine? You've got masters of households coming into church where their slaves in the same household are coming into church and there is equality in that moment where everything outside that wall says that that man is completely over you and owns everything about you. But in here, that's not the case. Can you imagine the dynamic of that? You know, could you imagine the dynamic of a man who was a slave who has the incredible gift of prophecy or an amazing teacher? You could have a slave anointed by God teaching the word to his own master sat there. And the master has to receive that because of we recognize God's gift in him. But outside of those this church dynamic, the world is running on a totally different system. And, we, and, and Paul doesn't comment on whether the system out there is fully right or fully wrong. But what he wants to do in this passage is comment on the attitude of us. You know, we can look at this and go, slavery is bad. We know that. But there are situations we're going to find ourselves in that we feel like a slave. But what's our attitude going to be? Can you see where we're going to go now? The system is broken. But in Christ, he's going to restore some stuff. And it is unbelievably counter-cultural. There's a lot in life that we have no control over. Wouldn't you agree? There is lo- I cannot control your behavior and attitude. I cannot control Victoria's behavior and attitude. <laughs> I cannot control Xanthi, my beautiful, amazing, gorgeous daughter who doesn't need prayer ministry right now, do you? Anyway, you know, I can't control. Listen, I cannot control or you cannot control your boss's attitude. But what we can do is control ours. And so what Paul does then over these three spheres of influence and network of relationships, he says this. Right now, can you set aside? Shout. I want some participation. Speak out. Set aside. Set aside aside the other. Because as we come to this passage. We're going to find it incredibly difficult if we don't set aside that and then allow God to speak to us. If we're responsible for, we're going to want to keep running over here and taking hold of the instruction that's not for us, but was for somebody else. OK, so you're ready. Some of you are like, I'm not sure. <laughs> when we lose focus on who we're really serving then we might lose the grace that he provides for those situations. So let's look at this passage. Let's come back to this passage. Paul starts with wives and husbands, goes to kids and parents, and then lands on slaves and masters. I want to do it in reverse. I want to start on the outside and start to work inside. Is that okay? All right. So let's look at what he says 
about slaves and masters. And he's not commenting again, guys, on the on, on, on that whole slavery thing. I mean, the backdrop, as I've already said, is that there is a system operating where the whole Roman world was underpinned by slavery. 70% of the Roman world served the 30%. It was horrific. And, uh, and there was layers and layers of what slavery looked like. Some people who were highly educated were, in one sense, were more like employed household um, managers and ran the business for the, for the guys that owned it all. And yet, and, and seemingly seemed to have an okay time. But they were still slaves. And there were some that were so downtrodden and people were commodities and it was awful and the church had a bunch of these guys in it and so Paul I want us to place ourselves in this slaves and masters bit I want to how does that connect with us today I think the probably the closest is is our employee Employer roles. You know, for some of us, we may be finding ourselves right now in really tough situations. You're working in a job, but you're doing it because it just pays the bills. You know, we, we, I think in the developed world, we think it is our absolute right to have a job that fits all my talent, all my gifting, and my hours that suit me. And, and let's be honest, we all, most of us, because of the freedom and the liberty that we have, in an ideal world, that is what we want. And hopefully that's what we'll have. But the reality of this situation, you've got a whole bunch of people who are in situation and doing jobs, they had no real choice over. And actually for some of us in this room, we are doing jobs because we, they just... We don't particularly like it. We don't particularly like the boss, you know, the attitude of the boss or the framework of the corporation that we're working with. Craig's smiling. He's his own boss. But there you go. And and, and into that situation, Paul is speaking. And I want to encourage you today. For some of us, we're in a tough spot and we're just doing what we need to do. And sometimes it's really difficult in that moment to to, to focus. The question here is, which master are you focusing on? What does it say? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord and not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. You know, sometimes it is tough, but Paul is saying, into that toughness, look through your boss, look through your immediate master, to a master that loves you and cares for you, and do what is right, in spite of everybody else, do what is right before him. What master are you going to serve? You see, when you're in a tough spot, you live for tomorrow, don't you? You hope for tomorrow will be different. You kind of live in that place. And I think that's okay because, you know, in Scripture, we're not called to live in the past. We don't want the past 
to, you know, as we've already heard this morning about prayer ministry, you know, the, the, the bad past to encroach on today. But for some of us, we're hoping for a future, but in doing so, actually, we're not willing to take on today. We're not willing to do and deal with today so that God can open up the tomorrow. We, all, we want to go into tomorrow and not deal with today. Does that make sense? And actually, we live with a fantasy of tomorrow. And so sometimes in tough situations, if we can get out, we get out. But what happens if you can't get out? What happens if you have responsibilities in certain situations? And you need to put food on the table. And actually getting out is an irresponsible moment. Maybe in this stuff, and he says, when you serve, which master are you going to serve? He's saying, focus on the Lord and the Lord will grace you for the tough stuff today. Because sometimes some of us are hoping for a job that will never materialize. We've got this weird fantasy of this job, career, whatever it is. And the reality is God's not going to release that to you until you deal with today. And so we might be in a situation where God is saying to you, actually, learn to love your boss in this moment. Extend grace in this moment. Serve Christ here and now in this tough moment. And as you do that, what we see here, and Paul begins to talk about some Christ-like qualities of integrity, doesn't he? And transparency. You see, when we look to the master who's over us all, he starts to forge in us integrity and diligence. Well, I think if you're a person, even if it's a tough job, if you're a guy or a girl and you're working with diligence and transparency and honesty and integrity, it's very difficult for the boss to give you a hard time, isn't it? So as we look through the earthly boss, the earthly master, to the master that loves us and has a plan for our life and will reward us in doing that first, we then serve our earthly masters in a much better way. And often, and I want to say often, the response is much, much better. So if we're an employee, Let's just suspend that right now. Let's set aside whatever your boss's attitude is. What's my attitude? Oh, in this situation, am I reflecting Jesus in this thing, in, in this moment? Is that helpful, guys? Right. Because if we lose our focus on who we're really serving, then we can lose the grace he provides for that situation. And some of you are saying, well, if I engage with that, well, then God move me on and give me another job. Because that's how we work, don't we? Lord, I'm honoring you. Now, will you lift me up out of this place? Now, the answer to that question is an interesting one. He may. He may. But Paul's talking to slaves. And they may never be physically free. Because they're in a situation where it's very possible they will live as slaves to that household for the rest of their lives. But Jesus promises an internal freedom 
in them. It's quite tough, isn't it, this stuff? God can supply your every need, even in the toughest situation. So the answer to the question is, yes, he might move you on. And he might open up a new door. But maybe that will happen only when we begin to resolve today so that he cracks open a new tomorrow. And he may not move you on because he wants you to resolve something for the today, to live in that and to influence the place that you thought, I, surely God hasn't sent me here. And it becomes the place you feel called to serve. So that was to the slaves. What on earth then does he say to the masters? Well, he does something absolutely remarkable, doesn't he, in this passage. Because he says all of this stuff. So I, I think as, he, as Paul is saying this to the slaves, the masters are going, yeah, preach it, Paul. Whoo, integrity, diligence. Yeah, I want slaves. I want an employee like that. That's a great one. Ooh, that's a word in season. Yeah, because we love to hear what we want to hear. And then he flips it over, doesn't he? But masters, and he uses that word twice and very deliberately, but masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know, and he's talking to the Christian masters that are in the church, you have a master in heaven. What's your focus, masters? Are you going to focus on the earthly master who is who? You. Or are you going to focus on a heavenly master? Because one day, how you deal with right now will determine your eternal tomorrow. See what he's doing? He's moving that. He's flipping it around. He's saying, you know, how you're treating your slaves, you know, you need to now look beyond the slaves to another master. A master in heaven. It's like, How best to put it? If you're in a place you want to be, if, if, let me put it this way. If you're in a place you want to be, you live for that today. So if you're in a good place, that today is great. You're not that bothered about tomorrow. And what Paul is trying to do is saying, you need to live not for today, but for that tomorrow that will come and allow that to shape how you deal with people. Can you see that? You see that in the passage? So provide, be fair, care for those who are working for you. And this is radical. Paul's saying these are people and not commodities. And how you handle them could and will determine how Jesus is going to handle you. It's about focus. Which master are you going to serve? You have the responsibility right now of being a master because you have these people serving you. But actually, if you love the Lord, you're going to serve him. And as you do that, it's going to then do something in you. And you're going to be able to serve those guys even better.
Which master are you focused on? I know that some of you have people in your care in terms of employment. Some of us are employees. Paul is speaking into our situations. Okay, so can you imagine the masters in the room and the slaves in the room and they're looking at each other thinking, how do we now respond to this? I think it's fascinating. Paul is brilliant. See, he speaks to the power brokers, sorry, the the powerless first to get the attention of the powerful in the context, doesn't he? So when he says obey to slaves, the masses are like, yeah. He's got their ear and then he turns it around and it's almost like you have more responsibility in this moment. Okay, so that was employment and employees. What about, you know, bringing it a little bit closer now to verse 20 and 21? uh, Children. Oh, they're loving this bit, not. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. And all the parents say, Amen. <laughs> you're like, that. you're hearing that. The kids have already stopped to obey. They're like, mm, you know. And then, and then he goes on, but fathers do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. There's two sides of the coin, isn't it? And we love to hear when somebody says the stuff that we've always been saying at home, you know, uh, as a parent. So we, uh, if you're a parent in the room, you're, in it, when that first sentence comes along, you're in, aren't you? Obey. You were like, yes, that's a great word. We're not talking to the parents right now. We're going to talk to the kids. Okay? uh, Children, obey your parents. And what I love is this, the whole family is present. Every stage and every age. And Paul's addressing the children and the young people shows that God is interested in you and in your walk with him. And I don't know if Paul is addressing something very specific in the community you know, in the church. I don't know if Epaphras has gone back to Paul in his discussions and said, do you know what? There is a bunch of kids in that church that are just causing all sorts of issues and troubles. I don't know. But Paul says to the kids, guys, you need to be obedient to your mum and dad because that's the right thing to do. And if you love Jesus and if you've given your life to Jesus, What he's basically saying is look through your parents to another parent. Look through them to your father in heaven. And so the question for us as kids is this. It's about who you focused on. Because let's be honest, as parents, the reality is we're never going to get it right all of the time, are we? Some of you are like, not moving. You're like, no, I get it right all the time. And the kids go, no, 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 no. They definitely don't get it right all the time. The sort of fifth command, isn't it? Is honor the honor your parents. And it comes with a promise, which is hilarious. So you, you will have a long life. That infers if you don't, you might life might be cut short. <laughs> but if we, as children, if we have entered into a relationship with Jesus, then our Father in heaven, we want to please him. And so the instruction to the kids is, obey your Father in heaven. That's where we're going. And when you do that, let me tell you, it pleases him. It will please your parents. 
and bring peace to the household. I'm going to scream through this. So, so for a moment, for us, for children in the room, we need to suspend whatever our parents' attitude is. Okay, we're going to leave it here. And I want us for just a few minutes to think about a situation in our lives where, um, you know, this tension between the child and the parent. And I want us to take that little that little sentence and whatever you do, whether in word or deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's set aside the attitude of mum and dad and just assess how we respond to them just for a moment. What would Jesus do? Am I responding in a way that pleases him? Or am I not? Would Jesus, if he was on Instagram, tick the box? That I'm putting out there. You know, would he would he come back on Facebook and go, how you're acting right now in this moment? Oh, it's good. Tick. Or not. And if it's a not, then we need to just come and say, Jesus, Lord, sort me out. Help me with this thing. Give me grace for the moment. Sort my attitude out. And all the parents are saying, Amen. Yes, we're going to use Insta Jesus. Brilliant. But the reality is this. Hold on a second. For those of us who still have parents around, we're also the kids in this. Where's the focus? Because see, suddenly we're like, the focus is all on them. But the reality is, most of us have still got parents around. And actually, now I'm the kid. No, 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 I'm not. I'm the adult. In fact, I'm the parent. No, 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 no. Hold on a minute. You're the child as well. Am I honoring my mum and dad? How do I, how do I, um, uh, what kind of an example am I with my own parents to my own children? Oh, James, you didn't have to say that. Did you? Oh, it's like, you know, that moment where Jesus is stood on the shore and he's teaching the crowd and Peter sat there. And I bet in Peter's heart, he's going, oh, that's a good word for them. That's a great word, Jesus. And then at the end of teaching the crowd, Jesus turns to Peter and says, now, Peter, get it back in the boat. What do you mean, Lord? I've been out all night fishing. I'm disappointed, frustrated. What do you mean I've got to go back out again? Because, you see, we love it when Jesus teaches the crowd. But when he turns to us and says, excuse me, you're the child in this moment as well. See, it's about focus. As kids, we're to, to, to look to the Father in heaven. But we look to look to the Father in heaven. Whether we're a child, we look to the Father in heaven because also we're a parent. And we take our parenting from him, who's merciful, loving, gracious, isn't it? He, he extends forgiveness and all of that. Who are we focused on? Who are we focused on? And I want to land now. On this final bit, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I hope you're seeing a pattern as we've been going through. In another translation, it says this, 
Husbands, go out in love for your wives. Go all out in love for your wives. Do not take advantage of them. That's the message translation. So as a man, as a father, and as a husband, I want to deal with me right now first. Because the instruction in this section is to me, okay, as a dad, oh sorry, as a husband. And then we'll, we'll land on the wife's responsibility. All I know is there is a command here to me for me not to be harsh, to love your wife, and not to take advantage. Why? Because it's about focus again, isn't it? Because I might be married to Victoria, but in a way, I'm married to Christ. I might be bound on earth to Tory, but I am bound in to heaven in Christ. My relationship on earth is deeply connected to my relationship with heaven and with him. How I love Victoria shows and reflects how much I love Jesus. And this is where the rubber really hits the road. Who is shaping my life the, life the most in this most intimate of relationships? Colossians is a paraphrase of what Paul says to the Ephesian church. And this is what he says. He says, husbands, love your wives as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, where is your focus? Love your spouses. If we love our spouses and uh, um, if we say we love our spouses, then what we're saying here is that, that, that we are first loving Christ. Is the order of my love right? Because the reality is this. Victoria shouldn't be my first love. That's okay. Isn't that right? Jesus said, come to me. Follow me. I've decided to follow Jesus. He's number one. Revelation chapter two. You have, speaking to which church? The Ephesian church. He said, you have lost what? Your first love. You see, guys, when we lose our first love, we start losing our second. Jesus is like, if we lose our focus as husbands on him, then let me tell you, we'll lose our focus in how we engage with our wives. Because he needs to shape the kind of love that we express. And let's be honest, I'm going to speak to the guys. When we are close to Jesus, we seem to be much closer to our wives. Wouldn't you agree? When we allow Jesus into our hearts and our lives and he's speaking to us and we're making time for him and our, there's something going on there, there's a dynamic. Let me tell you, that dynamic affects this dynamic. When I am angry about a situation, if I don't take it to Jesus first, my first love, let me tell you, I take it out on her. When I am frustrated with other things, if I don't take it to my first love, guess where the frustration goes? It goes here. Jesus is saying to the husbands, 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 you might in that society have all the rights. Society has given you the right to throw your proverbial weight around, but you have a different kind of relationship. You're called to look beyond, to look through, to look to him. 
and allow his sacrificial love to be ingrained in us and to shape the kind of love that we show our wives. This is what it says in the message of that Ephesian um, passage. Are you ready? Now, lads, it's tough, but the girls are going to love it. This is what you're ready. So get rid of some hallelujahs. All right. So this is what it says. It says this. It says, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives. Yeah, we heard that bit. Exactly as Christ did for the church. Here we go. A love marked by giving and not getting. Giving and not getting. Lads, let's say it. Giving, not getting. Jesus isn't a getter. He's a giver. Isn't he? He gives, he gives, he gives. Some of you have already gone, I know what Jesus gives. He gives lots of stuff. He gives great patience. He gives uh, gentleness and kindness. And some of you have already moved on to gifts already. (laughs) You're like, yeah, gifts. You've already got your Christmas presents already sought out. The reality is Jesus is a giver and not a getter. So am I a giver in this relationship or is it about what I can have and what I can get and what I can receive? Oh, (laughs) it's personal. We like to get, but Jesus gives. Then he goes on and says, Christ's love makes the church whole. He holds it together. He doesn't lose it. (laughs) How many of us lose it? We lose it when we lose our focus. We, you know, we get angry and we can lose the plot. And when we lose the plot, what does that do in a family context? It brings division. It drives. It pushes away stuff. That's not the kind of love that Jesus would do. Jesus' love pulls it in. It holds all things together. It holds the church together. It holds the relationships together. It holds the diversity of people together. It pulls us together. Does my love pull us, bring us closer together or does it push away? His words evoke her beauty. That's what it says in the message. Jesus' words evoke the beauty of the church. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out in out of her. Look at this. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And this is how the husbands ought to love their wives. Ladies, you're allowed to clap. Whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Dell's like, yeah, hallelujah. You see, then when you come to that moment of wives submit to your husbands, you see, when a husband is operating in that and loving you like that, then submission isn't a horrible word. Submission isn't then. There's two people wrestling to pin them. There is, it's not about control. It's not about power. Because the same thing uh, Paul then says to the women, if you're going to submit to your husband, you're submitting to Jesus. He's saying you're submitted first to Christ. When we're submitted to Christ, 
he equips us to serve and support and submit in accordance not to the husband's demands, but to Christ's nature. Does that make sense? Let me just say that again because we want to land here. We can say a lot more, but we've run out of time. When we are submitted to Christ, he equips us to serve and support and submit in accordance, not to the husband's demands, but to Christ's nature. We're called to submit to Christ. When control and power become the focus, we become the focus. And I appreciate for some of us, it's very difficult to suspend the other side of this coin. But in God, when we place ourselves under him, he will sustain, he will grace us. To first submit to him and then relate to your husband or your wife appropriately. So to wrap up, some of us might be desperate for the perfect job, desperate for the perfect husband or wife, desperate to have the perfect children or become the perfect parent. Often we want them to change. The thrust of this is maybe the change in them starts in us. Why don't we just stand?